You know, life is filled with hard questions, yet people of faith can face hard questions with confidence. Today, we'll look at some of the toughest questions that people often ask those who are followers of Christ. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. Dr. Zuckerman is an author, speaker, and scholar who examines today's worldviews and issues in the light of biblical Christianity. Today, Pat begins a series on 10 questions every Christian must answer. And these are some doozies, but Pat is going to take them head on. And by the way, you may have some questions as well. I think all of us do. So be sure and let us know what they are by going to our website, evidenceandanswers.org. There you'll find resources on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. Download past shows, articles, and more. And our resources could be a real help, not only to you, but to that friend or family member who may be going through a period of doubt or unanswered questions. And if you have a college student in your life, they could especially benefit from the intelligent, insightful information available at evidenceandanswers.org. So go there today, evidenceandanswers.org. Pat, let's start with part one of 10 questions every Christian must answer. And you have a special guest to introduce as well. Yes, Kevin. Before we get into our topic today, I want to introduce a new component to our show. I want to introduce our good friend, Tony Solis. Tony is a recognized figure here in the islands of Hawaii. Tony hosts his own very popular local TV show, and he'll be joining me as a co-host here in the beautiful islands of Hawaii. So, Tony, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Pat. You know what an opportunity it is to uh, be here uh, with Evidence and Answers. And, you know, today a great show. We're going to be going over 10 questions every intelligent Christian must answer. Pat, we got this from the site GodIsImaginary.org, an atheist site. And you know, a lot of times when they try to do this, it gives us as Christians opportunity to show that God does exist and um, through a biblical perspective. So Pat, let's get started. I'm going to start off with this question for you. Number one, why won't God heal amputees? Yes, you know, Tony, one of my hobbies is to look through atheist websites and read atheist literature and see what the challenges are out there. And this is a question I often get. Now, I answer this question by first opening up with a question. You know, mm -hmm. first, Tony, you know, do we as parents fulfill every request our child makes of us? No, you know, not at all, actually. Yeah. Why not? I guess, you know, as parents, they, they, they want to do what's best for their child. Right, you know, and we know that children will not grow if we cater to their every want. If every request that they make, we answer. We know they will not mature and grow. Secondly, sometimes the child doesn't know what is best. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. for example, you know, when I was in high school, I wanted to go out cruising every night with my friends. <laughs> yeah, like every and, kid. Yeah, and they were going out cruising every night. And mm. my parents vehemently said no. And we got into a big fight over that because my friends were out cruising every night. Right. Well, at that time, I didn't know what was best. Looking back on it now, mm -hmm. I'm glad my parents said no because all of my friends that went out cruising every night, they did not make it into college, you mm -hmm. know, and they, a lot of them ended up dropping out of school. So I'm glad they said no to me. I didn't know what was best at that time. And it's sometimes only through the struggle that our character and maturity of a child will grow. And just mm -hmm. like each one of us, you know, God often holds back from answering our prayer in order for our character and maturity to grow. James chapter 1 mm -hmm. says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. 
And so sometimes God has to hold back Mm -hmm. in order for us to go through the struggle to grow us in our maturity and our character. And as Christians, there is meaning to our struggle. There is a purpose in our suffering. It's Mm -hmm. to make us more like Christ and to grow us in maturity and character. Now, consider the atheist worldview. Right. What purpose is there in the struggle, in the trials that we face in life? You're going to have to ultimately say it's completely meaningless because we're here by accident. The universe is here by accident. There's no intended purpose for us to be here. We're going to live for just a brief moment here in this vast universe, and then we become extinct. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What difference did it ever make that we were here? Eventually, the universe is going to die and... You know, therefore, mankind will one day come to an end. Yeah, and there's no real answer for that for the atheists who believe in naturalism, right? Where right. There, there is no purpose to life. Right. Um, you're just dealt the cards you're dealt with, and you exist uh, for no reason at all. So you're saying then, um, getting back to the question, why won't God heal amputees? It's not that God won't heal amputees, but um, his purpose is the big picture that we may not see, but he calls upon us to trust in him for all things. Right, Tony, you hit it right on the dot, you know, and also a second point to remember, even when God answered prayers, that did not guarantee that people are going to believe and love him. Mm -hmm. You know, look at the book of Exodus, where he was doing miracles on a regular basis, mm-hmm. and yet no one in that generation except for two people, Joshua and Caleb, entered into the promised land. When it came time, Numbers 14, and God said, go in there and take the land. You've seen all the miracles and the things mm-hmm. that I've done. And yet the people said, no, God is evil. He brought us here to get killed. There are giants in that land. Well, you know, And they began questioning the character and the goodness of God. The 10 lepers with Jesus, you know, he healed 10 of them. And only one came back Mm. to thank the Lord. You know, so one of the lessons we learn is that power does not produce love. Mm -hmm. Just because God answers prayer doesn't mean we're going to believe or love him. Mm -hmm. So there's a greater purpose in there. And as you mentioned, Tony, sometimes God withholds because there's a greater purpose involved there. You know, if God answered all our prayers every time we asked, that may actually be detrimental, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know as it would stifle the growth of children, and often children don't know what is best, sometimes there's a greater purpose behind all this. There's two key men in the Bible whose prayers were not answered because there was a greater good Mm -hmm. for what they had to go through. The first one is Jesus Christ our Lord, Mm. you know, God the Son, Matthew 26. He prayed, if there's any way, Father, take this cup from me. Mm-hmm. Yet God did not answer that prayer. Why? Because there was a greater good being accomplished. Right. The death of Christ bought the redemption of mankind. And there's another one, the great apostle Paul, Second mm-hmm. Corinthians chapter 12. He said, I prayed to the Lord three times that he would remove this thorn mm-hmm. from my side. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. Right. Because right. that was actually protection for Paul. With the great things that Paul accomplished, his tremendous scholarly ability, the churches that he planted throughout the Roman world, he could have got awfully arrogant. Mm -hmm. Yet this was a protection to protect Paul from arrogance here. And, you know, our suffering is not meaningless. You know, as James chapter 1, Romans chapter 8, as we see throughout the Bible, 
Those who suffer develop character. You know, we learn the most in our suffering. And those who endure suffering come to be an inspiration for others. Mm -hmm. You know, the biographies that you read, what kind of people do we read about? Do we read about the guy who had it all, had it easy, Mm -hmm. made it through life, you know, and uh, retired at the age of 30 and played golf all day? Mm -hmm. Is that the kind of biography that inspires us and ministers to us? Right, right. No way. I mean... I just read one the other day about a man here in Hawaii, Charlie Wiedemeyer, who was struck with a disease. He was a great football athlete, running back from Michigan State University, began coaching at a high school, and he was struck down by this disease that paralyzed him, and he couldn't even talk. He could only whisper, and the way he coached the high school football team, he had to whisper to his wife, who would then shout the plays to the offensive coordinators and others, and they would relay that to their players. But yet through all of that, Players were inspired. Mm-hmm. Parents were inspired. The school was inspired. The community was inspired by the things that he went through. Mm-hmm. And when you interview Charlie Wiedemeyer or his wife and say, hey, if you had to do it all over again, would you change anything? Many, many say no. And finally, Tony, you know what? One day that prayer of that amputee is going to be answered. Right. Yeah, because one day he will receive a glorified body at the resurrection. And we know that this is not wishful thinking. This is not pie-in-the-sky kind of stuff because the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees it. You know, the resurrection of Christ is one of the best attested to ancient historical events. So this is not wishful thinking. But for the atheists, think about it. This is all there is. You're going to live a meaningless life. You're going to suffer a meaningless kind of suffering Mm -hmm. and trial. And then when you die, you're annihilated and that's it. What kind of answer is that to this question here? So if you look at it, the Christian can offer a meaningful answer that makes sense. It's got good reason and it's a message of hope and meaning. What does the atheist, how would they answer this question? Well, it's ultimately meaningless. There's no meaning. There's Mm -hmm. no hope. uh, There's just no purpose in life at all. And again, as you stated, that one day, that glorious day, um, the Lord's going to show himself strong and uh, all amputees and whatever sickness, disease will be gone forevermore. Pat, now moving on to a second question here. Why are there so many starving people throughout the world today? Well, this is a classic question of God and evil. If God exists, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? Once again, you answer this question with a question. You know, you look at the atheists and say, well, what is the problem? Mm -hmm. I mean, why is this evil? Ask the atheists. If God does not exist, and for the atheists, why is this an issue? We're a cosmic accident. There's no ultimate purpose for our existence. We live a meaningless life. We die and that's it. Eventually the universe is going to die. Mankind is going to die. What difference did it ever make that we were here? Mm -hmm. And remember, this is only a problem if life is meaningful and there's an ultimate standard of good by which we can judge and say we have fallen short. By saying there's evil in the world, you're saying there's an ultimate standard of good by which I'm measuring this. And where does that ultimate standard of good come from? That's honestly a a huge and um, legitimate question about why people are starving throughout the world today. Exactly. An ultimate standard of moral good implies a moral lawgiver Mm -hmm. who set that standard. You know, the great scholar C.S. Lewis, as an atheist, he came to Christ later in his life. But he stated this. It was the problem of evil that led him to belief in God. And he says this, As an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked 
unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe to when I called it unjust? Mm -hmm. So the problem of evil actually boomerangs right back into another proof for the existence of God. You know, when you look at things intelligently, it always will lead you to God. Right. You know, all truth is God's truth. God is the God of truth, and truth eventually leads us back to God. So think about it now. You know, he's saying if you answer these questions according to Christian worldview, you'll get a ridiculous answer, and you'll discover atheism is the only one that makes sense. Well, think about it. If you answer it according to the atheist worldview, their answer actually doesn't make sense. Why are there so many people starving in the world? Well, why is there evil? How do I define evil? How do I measure? Where does that ultimate standard of good come from? And why is it even a meaningful question then? If we're here by accident, our life is meaningless. All we all end up annihilated anyway, extinct. What difference does it make? You know, mm -hmm. the atheists can't bring a good, reasonable answer to this. So from the Christian perspective then, in a nutshell, people starving today, the answer would be? It's because sin has entered into the world. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the reasons evil exists mm -hmm. is that God created creatures in his image. In other words, we have the ability, the free will to mm -hmm. choose. And unfortunately, that presents a potential for evil. Mm -hmm. All right. Yet, a perfect creature must be able to do the greatest moral good that can be done, which is to love. But love is impossible without free will. Mm -hmm. You can't force someone to love you. Therefore, God giving man the ability to choose also presents a potential for evil because he can choose otherwise. And man, you know, Adam and Eve, in their uh, ability to choose, unfortunately chose sin, and that's how evil entered into the world. And people starving is the result of sin in this world. And the reason we call it evil is because there's an ultimate standard of good. And as Christians, we do all we can in the power of God and is enabling by the Holy Spirit to reverse that curse of sin and to come to the aid of these people because they're valuable and they're made in the image of God. And as in the previous question, this is not the end. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, it's a tragic thing to see young children starve and die. I've been there. I've been to these countries. I've heard the stories. I've seen the graves. But that's not the end. Yeah. You know, they're going to go and be with the Lord and one day be resurrected in glory, mm -hmm. and they won't be starving ever again. So there's a tremendous meaning behind it and a tremendous message of hope that the atheist can't give. The result is the consequences sin has entered the world, these consequences that we see today. But again, as you said, Pat, the atheists have no hope where uh, through a Christian biblical perspective, we have a living hope and that day will come. Let's move on to uh, question number three. Now, Pat, why does God demand death of so many innocent people? Yes, you know, and when you read the article, he's pointing to the Old Testament passages where it talks about, you know, the killing of the Amalekites and mm -hmm. other civilizations. Well, once again, you need to answer their question with another question. Why is this a problem? Mm -hmm. And secondly, how are you defining innocent? Right? Yeah, what does innocence mean actually today? Right. You know, how does an atheist define evil unless there's an ultimate standard of moral good by, from which we have deviated. Mm -hmm. Now, ultimate moral law code points to a moral lawgiver. Exactly. Right? And what do you mean by innocent? By what standard are you judging? Once again, you know, you're pointing to an ultimate standard of good, which implies an ultimate moral law, which comes from a moral lawgiver. So that poses a problem for the atheist. You know, why is this evil? 
isn't survival of the fittest what it's all about. Mm -hmm. One civilization is more fit to survive than another, so wipe out the others. You know, isn't that the course of nature? Isn't that what nature does? Why is this a problem? To answer that question, you know, biblically, Tony, when evil permeates a culture, mm-hmm. and it's just rampant and it's spread, and it, the culture is saturated in a religion or a philosophy or ideology of evil, many suffer while it proliferates, and and there really is no peaceful way to stop it. Mm-hmm. For example, Nazi Germany was thoroughly saturated in an evil philosophy, and many not only outside the country. But also within the country, we're suffering as a result. And to allow it to proliferate and spread throughout the world would have been a greater evil. However, to bring Nazi Germany to an end, that evil empire to an end, would be very costly, even to innocent lives. So, in the case of the Old Testament here, just like Nazi Germany, nobody questions the European coalition and America in stopping Nazi Germany. If we had just sat back and said, "Oh well, we don't want to take any innocent lives, so we'll let this continue," would have been a greater evil. And so everyone commends the Allies in the U.S. for stopping such an evil force throughout the world. And in the case of the Old Testament, you've got a similar thing.、Mm-hmm. The things that Israel came upon, some of these nations were just saturated in evil of a false religion, and citizens within these nations were suffering. For example, you know they were practicing child sacrifice.、Mm-hmm. Molech, the statue in which there's several statues that I've read about from the archaeology they have discovered. Some of them saw Molech, the hands of Molech were outstretched like this, and the hands were heated until the stones turned red, and then you place the baby in the hands, burning the baby to death. The other one is that the hands are in a More upward angle, and you put the baby on the hands, and he kind of rolls right into the fire. And so the people in the civilization were suffering as well.、Mm-hmm. And to allow this kind of religion to spread and proliferate would have been a greater evil. Now, unfortunately, to bring it to an end would be very costly. And God used the nation of Israel as a tool of judgment upon these nations. And so the entire civilization needed to be wiped out. So it was not only an act of justice, but of mercy as well. You know, think about it. Children growing up in this culture would have succumbed to that false religion. So in、mm-hmm. a sense, it's also an act of mercy because they do not reach what we call the age of accountability, and so they are spared that judgment. So think about it. That's really the only way you can put an end. To a culture just steeped and saturated in this kind of false religion and and just evil practice. You know, biblically speaking,、uh, just looking at the Great Flood, just、uh, a very obvious example that's known not only、uh, in our Westernized culture but just globally. You know, all the accounts of that Great Flood by all the different ethnicities that wrote about it, and so you know, it is true. God does have judgment to sever this. Cancerous、um, situation. Something has to happen, and God、uh, does it, as you said, Pat, for、uh, reasons of judgment, yet of mercy. Right, and it teaches us, you know, the unfortunate consequences of sin, and we can't take sin lightly because eventually the judgment of God does come, whether through reaping the consequences of our sin or His divine hand bringing、uh, evil practices and ideologies to an end. And unfortunately, yes, many innocent do suffer, but to Let it proliferate would be even worse.、Mm-hmm. 
Latiel, let's move on to the next question here. Uh, this is a good question. It's asking, why does the Bible contain so much unscientific nonsense? Yeah, you know, and he lists a few examples. Creation in six days, a worldwide flood, Jonah and the whale, Adam from dust, on and on. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, Tony, if God exists, miracles are possible. If there is a God, there can be act of God. So there's no problem for us who believe in the existence of God that he could do miracles that defy the natural law. That's what a miracle is. Mm-hmm. And if there is a God, that is possible. If you don't believe in God, as these atheists do, then everything must function according to natural law. But if there is a God, then there can be acts of God. And there is good, strong, compelling evidence that God exists. Yeah, that's a a good point. The evidence. A lot of time, the atheist, the unbeliever, will say, what's your evidence? So what are some of the evidences that point that the Bible is real? Yes. For example, you know, In the case of miracles, we first have to establish that God exists. And you raise the issue here, Tony. There's great evidence that God exists. For example, we have one, the origin of the universe. It's the law of causality. Whatever begins to exist Mm -hmm. must have a cause. Mm -hmm. Now, science has shown that perhaps the greatest miracle has occurred. The universe came from nothing. It's called the Big Bang. Mm -hmm. What was there before the Big Bang? Well, scientists admit Nothing. Mm -hmm. Time, space, matter, all began with the Big Bang. It's called the cosmological argument. Uh, It uses the law of causality. Whatever begins to exist must have a cause. Well, what is the cause of the universe then? Mm -hmm. Whatever cause the universe is greater than the universe. Well, God is a great candidate. Mm -hmm. Now, that's just one of the many arguments there are for the existence of God. But the point is this. If God can create the universe out of nothing... It's no problem then for God to do miracles. God can create the universe out of nothing. Is it any problem for God to part the Red Sea? Right. Is it any problem for God to resuscitate a body from the dead? Is it any problem to create the world in six days? Right. So these stories aren't completely nonsense. If God exists, miracles are possible. In fact, they're more than possible, Tony. They're actual. The greatest one has already occurred. God created the universe out of nothing. And all our scientific discovery seems to be pointing to that. And scientists are pretty much unanimous now. The universe has a beginning. They call it the Big Bang, mm-hmm. out of nothing. And also, Tony, you know, these stories are not nonsense. It is possible. For example, the story of Noah and the Ark. There's a lot of evidence of a worldwide catastrophic flood. You know, there's seashells on every mountaintop. Mm-hmm. We've got trees in France, tall trees. 30 feet plus that are buried upside down, things like the Grand Canyon. But you know, Tony, one of the questions I get asked often is, how did Noah put all the animals on the ark? Yeah, I that's mean, always a, yeah. you know, a pressing question. How did you know, yeah. God fit all the animals on the ark? Yeah, I'll get asked these. There's over a million species of insects. How did you know, Noah build a cage for all these insects? Right. You know? In fact, I got an email the other day. This guy showed me a huge, gigantic uh, fish over 2,000 pounds, and he asked me, how did Noah get it on the ark? Well, here's the answer. Noah doesn't have to bring every single animal on the earth on the ark, okay? You don't need to bring Mm -hmm. fish on the ark, Mm -hmm. all right? They can survive well in the water. Okay. You don't have to bring amphibians on the ark. They do fine in the water. Right. There are reptiles you don't have to bring on the ark. They do fine in the alligators, salamanders, you know. They do fine in the water. Mm -hmm. What do you need to bring on the ark? 
land roving mammals. That's what you got to bring on the ark. And also, you don't need to build a cage for every single little insect. Where there are animals, there's insects. Mm -hmm. All right? And on the ark, you don't need to build cages for animals. Where you got something that big, you've got animals on there. All right? So Noah only has to bring a pair of all the land roving mammals. And if you look at the size of the ark, it's about the size of an aircraft carrier or a large ocean line cruiser or... 520 railroad stock cars. Mm -hmm. So if you look at, you know, taxonomists have studied all the land roving mammals on the world. I mean, you've got a few big ones, giraffe and elephants. And if you bring the baby ones, they'd fit fine. Mm -hmm. All right. So the average land roving mammal would be a little smaller than a sheep. Okay. So Mm. you bring a pair. And remember, you don't have to bring every single kind of dog there is. Right. You just bring maybe a couple coyotes and that's it. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm You put that all together, and what do you get? Well, a something the size of an aircraft carrier you end up with, and in the Bible, it's three stories, the ark was. You can fit all the animals on the bottom two floors, and the whole top floor be open for Noah and his family. So it's completely plausible. It's a plausible scenario mm-hmm. to get the animals of the world onto the ark. It's not a nonsense kind of story. Well, we are out of time today, but it just gets better. So be sure you're here next time for part two of 10 questions every Christian must answer on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucrin. And you can get this entire series at evidenceandanswers.org. Hey, if you appreciate this show, a program that offers straightforward, intelligent evidence and answers, then please support us financially and prayerfully. Your support helps us stay on this station and keeps Pat speaking all over the world, from colleges and universities to places where Christianity is forbidden and persecuted around the world. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org and click on the Donate button or just send us a note and let us know you're listening. It would be a huge blessing to us, so let us hear from you today. That's evidenceandanswers.org. I'm Kevin Harris. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman.